Get ready. Get ready. It's time for This Week in Hockey. An in-depth look at what's happening around the NHL this week. Here's your host, Blues analyst Alex Ferrario and Blues broadcaster Joey Vitale. This Week in Hockey on 101 ESPN. Tuesday night, everybody, and welcome into another edition of This Week in Hockey. Two hours of hockey talk coming your way right now, along with the voice of the blues, Chris Kerber. I am Alex Ferrario, and we have a special guest in studio. Finally, a special guest in studio that's just not Curbs and I talking to each other nonstop. Well, as the promo said, Alex Ferrario and Joe Vitale with Joe on vacation, you know, for for the next uh, week or two takes two of us to replace them. <laughs> That's very true. That's the way I look at it. you got to get people that they love, and people love Jeremy Rutherford of The Athletic, who covers the St. Louis Blues. A great friend of both of ours, and a man who's just trying to get out of boredom right now. How are you, Jeremy? Yeah, doing great. Thanks for having me. And hey, one thing uh, Joey and I have in common, we're, we're both joggers. I heard he did a half marathon a couple weeks ago, you know, so we both got that going for us. He did a half marathon? Yeah. Did, and, and Really? Have you, what's the most you've run? <laughs> I did that last year. Uh, combined. I did one a couple of years back. <laughs> <laughs> Combined? No, I did the half marathon. I haven't. I ran four and a half miles yesterday, uh, you know, but I, I only do it now about once a week because after that back surgery, it's just not quite the same. Nerve down the old leg, never fired back up again. So when you run with a bit of a drop foot, it's like giving yourself a high five on one side the whole time. <laughs> you know, it's kind of like Igor from Young Frankenstein trying to sneak up on somebody. Well, and it, it just ain't going to happen. When Igor. Text, when you texted today, JR, and you said, uh, hey, you know, I'm going to be out biking and I'll get back to you in a bit. I thought you you bought like a Harley or something. No, yeah. Didn't uh, know you actually had a bicycle. Old mountain bike with a lot of rust on it. Took it to uh, the bike store and got a bunch of new parts for it. Actually took it to Grant's Trail today and did about an hour. So, uh, you know, this quarantine kind of taking a toll on this big uh, frame. And uh, we're going to try to get it down. Quarantine's ruining right. everybody because I'm out running. JR's out biking. And Curves is taking videos of himself jumping off a diving board with no shirt on <laughs> into the pool. And it goes viral. That, that, thing, that, that thing did go. That went a little bit more viral than I thought it was going to Didn't expect 33,000 people to well, see you I've a got a follow-up to it that uh, I, I sent it to Kenny Wallace who had traded me so traded some text messages with me after he saw that one and I said well here's the silly salmon I haven't put it out there he goes oh you got to put that have you guys seen <laughs> these guys on YouTube no. The Silly Salmon? Mm-mm. All right, during a break, we'll have you look it up. But they basically, they, they kind of lock up and they flop like a salmon into bodies of water or into a bush <laughs> or something. And we're at the pool on Sunday out, out of my dad's house with the kids. And they started doing it. And they said, Dad, do it. And then they just started laughing. And it, I mean, honestly, when you see the kids do it, it really is, it, it really is kind of fun. I'm impressed <laughs> that you were able to, to do that on the diving board because usually I would probably eat it at some point and face first into something. I think... See, people underestimate you, Jeremy. Yeah. You know, they, hey, listen, you could be of any size, of any shape, and just got to drop your butt in the diving board, and then you can fall forward. I mean, that's easily how that works, right? But I shallow how when I do the cannonball, <laughs> there's three kids in the trees. Hey, mommy! <laughs> uh, so true. I right, hit, hit the play button and see the silly salmon. Uh-oh. Silly salmon. Right, so this is that. that so is listeners the, uh, at home, check out the silly salmon video. Well, no, I haven't put it out yet. I, I Oh, so this is, this is to be <laughs> seen. Okay. Yeah, that's going to be be fantastic. See, I mean, I think I probably, if I, if I put out the Rodney Dangerfield one, right? I probably, here you go, Alex. Here, here yeah. you go. You, 
We'll take a vote, and if uh, if if you guys think so, by the end of the show, I'll put out the silly sentence. Should I put it out? I think you have to. That's a nine point four. The uh, the Russian judge oh. came in it with an eight. So <laughs> you legitimately went limp with that one, Curbs. So the video is going to be coming out. Well, hey, we're excited. We got a fun show for you today. Uh, Joe Yurden's going to be joining us a little bit later this hour. Of course, he um, cur- previously worked for the Athletic. Uh, unfortunately, he was a part of those, that furlough that that took place uh, last week. Yes. But he has been reporting on the Buffalo situation um, for the Sabres. If you haven't heard, they have kind of cleaned house uh, since they realized they're not going to be coming back and playing in the playoffs with 24 teams. Buffalo's well, they, on the they, outside. they fired the general manager. They Cle- fired they, a couple of other they people. Fire, yeah, but they didn't fire the coach. No, no. assistants and the uh, amateur staff. Yeah, yeah. just, yeah, just yeah. want to make sure they didn't know that, that Ralph Kruger so we're gonna was... Talk, yeah. so we're going to talk with him, and then in the 7 o'clock hour, we're talking with the play-by-play man for the Washington Capitals, correct? Yep, John Walton's going to join yeah. us in that 7 o'clock hour. And I, I like talking to these guys and just kind of getting the feel of what's going on in some of these other markets and the feeling that they're getting from their team. And as as we get closer to playing in August over the next few weeks of this week in hockey, I think, you know, I, I'm most curious about the teams that were done. I'm most curious about the Montreal Canadiens and the Chicago Blackouts, who, yes, sure, mathematically still had a chance to make the playoffs. But now legitimately just have to win three games to get into what would be considered the first round of the playoffs. And, you know, frankly, a Corey Crawford could steal that easily. Uh, uh, a Carey Price could easily steal that as, you know, your two bottom teams in those things. So I'm, I'm most curious about how those teams feel about what truly is a second lease on life. It really is, and they're going to be against all odds because people are going to be saying, you know, they shouldn't have made the playoffs, and they don't have the team. A couple of those teams... But that's got to be a motivating factor for it, them. It's I mean, going to be, yeah. That's right on the bulletin board, right? Yeah, exactly. It's, it's got to be. And uh, you look at Chicago, they traded their, one of their goaltenders, and Montreal uh, did some things, too, to basically give up on the season. Now you're back in the playoffs. Those teams are going to be playing the five seed. It's going to be a big motivator. And healthy players, too. I mean, we've talked a lot over these past couple of weeks of no hockey of Brent Seabrook being 100% for the team if he comes back because he had a season-ending injury. Montreal is going to be healthy. Shea Weber, 100% in the playoffs. So these are these are options for these teams to make them a lot more dangerous. All right, if you're sitting at that speakeasy that we like to go to in San Jose, San Jose right? Yeah. And what's it called? The Haberdashery, yeah, I think? Yeah. Okay, if you're sitting downstairs in that great little whiskey bar, which is, to me, one of the all-time favorite ones that we go to on the road, right? And you've got Mark Bergevin sitting in there. And you've got Stan Bowman sitting in there. And you ask those guys. And you give, I mean, and so let's, they, they've had a little bit of the truth serum. Okay. And you asked those two guys, would you rather be involved now or, and, and have the chance of playing yourself out of a lottery pick? Or still be where you have the better chance for the lottery pick. Considering how lucky Chicago got last year in that situation in and of itself. What do you think their truthful answer is? You got to like that pick, but you got to play hockey. Those are two major markets that that have to be. Uh, but you think, but think, don't think like the major market. Yeah. Think like the the old, like think like the general manager here building your think. hockey team. You're Stan Bowman. You've got another chance at a top ten pick. To kind of launch it out when, when at that point in time of the pause, nobody is expecting you to do anything. Okay, let me put it to you this way. Stan Bowman and Mark Bergevin 
how many years do they have left? Are they going to be around by the time? It's a great that question. This draft player, could, there's no way. It's a great point. They got to win now. Okay, so and, and so to me again, supporting your point there is, look, if you're if you're Mark Bergevin and you think, okay, our team is better than we were, right? And if we can get past the Pittsburgh Penguins. It's a big if, but again, carry price. So if you can get past the Pittsburgh Penguins, and you've got a healthy, and you've got a healthy Shea Weber now on the back end, right? If if you can do that, and you get to the first round, maybe if you get on a little bit of a run like an eighth seed would or it could. Okay, now you're going back and you're looking at your owners. You're saying, hey, I don't know about the job you're doing. You go, whoa, I don't know. We were the final eight. Right. You know, let's say you get past that. You get past that. What is the traditional first round of the playoffs? You're in the final eight. And I got to think that's pretty good for job security, especially if you're Stan Bowman. You know, and I got to think, I mean, truly all bets are off with what Chicago did earlier by, by letting McDonough go. Right. Yeah, I mean, I, I got to think that, yeah, okay, he's, he's got to have a little bit of security standpoint, but I cannot imagine that that's just a, a tight rope. I mean, I, I mean that thing's got to be pretty frayed, don't you think? It has to be. So those two guys in those two positions have to roll the dice on their team getting hot and doing well. That's the only thing that's going to keep their job. Okay, so later on this hour... We'll take our first break of this week in hockey. When we come back, Joe Yurden, again, uh, was unfortunately one of the guys let go in the bloodletting at the Athletic, uh, where, where you were, Jeremy. And um, But he still follows the Sabres. A good guy that that's, I think is still going to be able to give us some really good insight, kind enough to come on and join us in, in the next segment. But when we come back, to, we're going to get a little bit deeper. Like, which one of those teams, which one of the teams that was not in the top eight, or maybe we let's even say the top eight, we'll debate that part, actually has a chance that you think could go on a decent, uh, on a fairly decent run. So we'll pull up the standings and go through that. And again, uh, plenty of other things to get to as well as like there are teams right now that have groups of players skating. Today being the 16th, the Blues will not have anybody skating for another four, five, six days, the 22nd. Um, and Doug Armstrong last week told us why, so that's fine with it. But Patrick Kane on ESPN last night said that he's already been on the ice four or five days. And so we'll get you guys' thoughts on whether or not that could be a potential advantage for some teams or not. We'll take our first break, and when we come back, let's dig into this Buffalo situation because it could be one of these – I mean – it could just be one of these things that continues to keep a great hockey market just wallowed in mediocrity for quite a while. We'll find out. We'll talk with Joe Yurden next on This Week in Hockey on your home for St. Louis Blues Hockey 101 ESPN. Glad to have you with us this week. Jeremy Rutherford, kind enough to come in studio. He's looking through the windows here, uh, looking over at the Land Rover, a St. Louis Jaguar facility across Olive Street. And you can see people out and about moving around. That is a good sign. Glad to have you with us, along with Alex Ferrario. I'm Chris Kerber. It's This Week in Hockey. And news broke this afternoon that the Buffalo Sabres have made a change at the general manager position. Jason Botterill, who was hired just over over three years ago, back in early May of 2017, was let go by the Pagula.
Pagula family, the owners of the Buffalo Sabres, and replaced by Kevin Adams, a former uh, player at Miami of Ohio, won a Stanley Cup with the Carolina Hurricanes, had a good NHL career. He's been a coach. He's been on the business side of things for a little while. Does not have uh, detailed managerial experience on the hockey side of things, but he is now, Kevin Adams is now taking over as the, and he was a former first-round draft pick of the Boston Bruins, actually, taking over as the general manager. Joe Yurden, who uh, for a long time has covered the Buffalo Sabres, most recently for the Athletic, but still covering this uh, this story in Buffalo today. Kind enough to join us. Joe, uh, I know times have been difficult. Thank you for giving us a few minutes. You hanging in there? Yeah, I'm doing my best, doing as well as you can, given uh, given the circumstances. But at least I can say I'm, I got something in common with a lot of the people who were let go today by the Sabres. It was a big surprise. Yeah, it is, and sorry to hear that. And hopefully, hopefully you land on your feet too, because I know the effort and the care and, and the just the hard work that you put into covering this this great sport. So hopefully, it's not long for you. We're we're reading uh, what you're doing again, and, and you are still staying on top of it. What, what did you think uh, when the news broke today from the Pagulas that they made the change? Uh, stunned, just thoroughly stunned, uh, because everything that we had heard leading up to this was that everything was going along, proceeding as normal, and uh, you know the Pagulas gave the the old dreaded vote of confidence to to Jason Bottrell just even uh, a few weeks ago. So this is I mean, this is as out of left field as as you can get. It's it's something else to see this happening, and and not just with Jason, but just everybody that that's that's taken it on the chin here today it's you know it's the entire staff in rochester it's uh the 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 scouting staff that's that's all getting swept out i mean this is this is just an unbelievable sweeping through the organization and joe a lot of times the general manager uh will come out and speak in a situation like this but this time it was the owners letting the general manager go and the pagulas held a press conference i believe that was a pretty lengthy one just what did you make of uh what they said what was your takeaway well, this was takeaway was. Uh, I think if you were going to grade the press conference, uh, it, it, I'd say the team got about a D on that one. You know, A through F, they got a D on it. They, there, there weren't a lot of very clear answers as to, as to why there weren't a lot of there wasn't a lot of clarity made to the direction that they that they want to go into, other than streamlining the operation of the executive branch, uh, the executive branch of, of the team, and finding ways to as they put it, uh, to make things more efficient. And you know, to me, that reads that they want to not spend as much money on, on operations. And, you know, I mean, that's, I mean, that's their prerogative. They're the owners, they got the money, but, um, you know, the NHL doesn't really operate by, by doing things on a smaller scale. I mean, it, you know, if they're, if they're going to go the money ball route, I would, I would love to see that that happen through other means. You know, if you're going to use analytics and, and data to, to drive your decisions, but, Oh boy! I mean, just eliminating voices just because you know, you know, either they want to save money or they just want to have fewer voices uh, talking to them, or uh, having the only only having being able to take authority from you know a certain few. It, it's it's baffling, and you know Kim Pagula made it clear that this is not a you know they're not rebuilding, they're not doing that. But I, I don't know how else to explain. You know, you cut out your GM, your two assistant GMs, uh, your you know your uh, a ton of your amateur scouting staff, and your entire staff, your coaching staff in the AHL, and and not think this is some sort of rebuild. I mean, it's it's a rebuild, maybe not with the players on the ice, but it certainly is with the front office. Well, and that's the stunning part, Joe. I mean, four GMs in seven years, but on top of it, you also had Terry Pagula saying that the communication is the biggest issue right now at the executive level with the Buffalo Sabers. So you have all of this today. You have previously 
especially Jack Eichel, the superstar, coming out and following in the footsteps of Ryan O'Reilly saying he's sick of losing in Buffalo. I mean, where, where do things stand right now when it comes to the franchise look for the Buffalo Sabres? It, it feels very grim. And you know, I, I know grim can be turned around quickly with, with just winning games. I mean, I mean, all we got to do is look at the Blues, honestly, where things, things look grim, the cup, cup winning season, you know, in January, and then it all changed. But, um, but I mean, this is something where it's, you know, it's a team that hasn't made the playoffs in nine, nine seasons, nine straight seasons. And, you know, the, you know, they, they bottomed out. They've had, you know, they've been able to draft Jack Eichel. They got, you know, the number one pick and got Rasmus Dahlin. They have Sam Ryder. They have you know, guys that are in place that, that this should be working better than it is. And yet you, you have coaches changing every two to three years. You have GMs changing every two to three years. And that to me just speaks that either the pressure of trying to get back to the playoffs gets to everybody involved or the, the, the idea of what, what's supposed to be the right way to, 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 to fix things changes year by year. And if that's, if the latter part is the case, then that's nobody's going to have any success there because the second you have a poor season, changes are happening. And it, this, this to me is just, I don't know. It, it leaves me breathless, honestly, because it, it's just the, it, it's just an unbelievable change. Now, I mean, granted it, it doesn't come without, you know, justification. I mean, you can be very critical of the moves Jason's made the last three years, but at the same point, you've made a commitment. You said you're going to go for it. And, you know, the fans may not like that idea, but going about it this way and just tearing everything apart, man, it just seems like a, a wild overreaction. Yeah, it really is amazing. After Lindy Ruff was let go, you went to Ralston for basically the part of a year. Didn't even get a full year. Ted Nolan for just over a year and a half. Dan Bilesma for two years. Phil Housley for two years. And now Ralph Kruger, at the time of, of the pause, was one game under 500 at 30, 31, and 8. You've had the different general managers. And one of the things that would always make it difficult is, you, is getting somebody to come in and think that they're going to have stability in that type of environment. They didn't do that. They went with Kevin Adams. We'll get to Kevin in just a moment, but the question I've got for you right now, Joe, is there's no doubt that the Pagulas care as much, if not more than anybody, about the city of Buffalo and the region. There's no doubt and no arguing the philanthropic aspect of of that couple in terms of the good that they want to do for Buffalo. But when it comes to running their sports teams, like I really wonder right now, do, do if they really understand, frankly, just how hard it is to actually make the playoffs in the National Hockey League. I mean, I, I don't think, uh, I just don't think right now that uh, I think a Stanley Cup winner could easily miss the playoffs the next year with one bad slide during the season. I mean, I, it just I, to me, it is just that hard year in year out. And when you've got to rebuild a complete culture that has become one of nothing but losing that is going to take you some time and you're going to have to have some patience yeah and that's that's a big reason why i think a lot of the good stuff ralph Kruger was able to do this year was he was he was changing the psychological aspect of how players handle this i mean you, you look at guys that have been on this i mean you know eichel's been here for five years reinhardt's been here for five years ristolainen has been here for seven eight years and all these guys have had to deal with is losing and you know letting losses just fester and you know causing them to crumble further and i think you know ralph has done a lot of work to really change that mindset but it's not something that happens overnight i mean it's crazy to think that this team was you know changing one of these losses this year into a win and they'd be in the plans like that that's how close they were to 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 getting into it and popping over montreal but 
you know, it, but you know, are you that close to? Is it is it that close of a decision where you got to gut the franchise? I mean, is it is it that that kind of situation? I, you know, Pagula is also owning the Bills. I think it's it's kind of shown them that, you know, maybe for the negative that turning a team around and getting wins and getting a winner can happen really quick. Just get a couple, you know, get a couple of decent draft picks, and then you, boom, you're right back into it. And the NFL, I mean, it's it's not easy. You know, it, it's not easy there either. Let's get that straight, but you can maneuver your roster so much easier in the NFL just because the contracts aren't guaranteed and all that, all the, all that go that goes into it. But you know, it's two out of the last three seasons, the bills have made the playoffs and it makes, it makes it seem easy, especially after, you know, they missed the playoffs for 17 straight seasons. I mean, that, <laughs> you know, they made it look easy on that part, but mostly that that happens because they let Brandon Bean and, and Sean McDermott, they, they let them have control and they get out of the way. And I don't, know that they've really gotten out of the way with with any part of it in buffalo i mean yeah the the communication problems they had with murray and bilesma where it was you know bilesma didn't want to talk to the players the players didn't like the coach and the gm didn't want to play babysitter for everybody and and then you know with housley i think it was a, you know it was the thing where they liked the guy but you know it just didn't work and this time around i mean the players love ralph they they could they went out of their way to talk about how much they love ralph but it was pretty clear that they were frustrated that jason didn't do enough to help them out and i think that's a fair criticism but again you know the the owners they, they want you know they wanted better communication well i don't know if it's better communication they wanted or if they just wanted somebody that's going to tell them the things they want to hear and i think that's i think that's a fair question to ask now Hey, Joe, as this relates to uh, Blues, the news today in Buffalo that uh, the Sabres have fired Jason Botterill, I don't think we need a couple years to go by to realize that that was a, a bad trade for the Buffalo Sabres sending Ryan O'Reilly here for a package of parts that the Blues no longer wanted. There was some excitement when he came to Buffalo from Pittsburgh, excitement about him taking over. As you look back, is that where things began to turn for uh, Jason Botterill in terms of the public perception of what kind of job he would do? Yeah, and you know, I think that's that's something that's been a part of the last few hires because I think it, I think you'd find a lot of people hard pressed to argue against them. You know, when they hired Dan Bilesma, you know, they they missed out on Mike Babcock, and that was very well known. They made a humongous offer to him. He went to Toronto. Okay, fair. Uh, but they got the next guy on the list, and Dan Bilesma was that guy. And I think everybody agreed that that was the right move to make. Everybody thought he was drummed out of Pittsburgh unfairly. And it was gonna, it was probably gonna be a good refresh for him in Buffalo, and then it wasn't. And you know, then you you fire Murray, you hire Bottrell, then you get Phil Housley in there. And I think everybody felt that Phil Housley it was his time to be head coach, and I think everybody felt for Jason Bottrell it was definitely his time to be a GM. These are moves that at the time that they're made, they seem they seem like the right moves, and and then in the end, it turns out that they're not. And at that point, you have to. There are a couple of directions you can point the finger. It's either at the owners or it's at the players at that point. And you know, I think they've they, they, they've almost got the players thing figured out. <laughs> but the owners, like the owners, aren't going away. And and I think that's that's something that it's either up to the owners to like set it down their way completely and have it run it one way. And if it doesn't work, then boy, oh boy, that's that's when things get really ugly. Or you have to put somebody in charge. That is going to say, listen, let me do my job, get out of my way, let me, you know, allow me to do things the way that I need them to be for this to be a winner. And I think that's where a lot of the problems have come in, where, you know, maybe the ownership wants to have a little bit more say here and there. And, you know, the GM says, well, I don't want to do that. And then the owners say, well, you're going to. And that's where it all falls apart. Well, I mean, and then you end up with some 
what, what appeared to be some personality conflicts, the way Dan Bilesma was running things. Uh, Phil Housley did absolutely nothing to, to if in his favor from that standpoint, too, when you talk to some guys that are in that locker room. I mean, it's just mm-hmm. so the vetting of their coaches definitely was a better one and what they were doing with Ralph Kruger and his experience and what they did. So now, moving ahead, last one for you, Joe, is we're talking to Joe Yordan, Yordan, who's been covering the Buffalo Sabres up in the Buffalo area. Joe... Kevin Adams comes in as a Pagula person. Um, and I, I mentioned at the outset some of his hockey acumen. That he's considered a smart hockey guy, but he doesn't have any experience uh, in this area. Um, and in an full disclosure here. I've known him since college. Uh, but having said that, it's going to be a bit of a challenge for him. What are your thoughts on them turning it over to Kevin? Well, this, he's got a lot on his plate. I mean, it's probably extremely unfair to him that he's got as much to deal with as he does. Um, but he's been in a position now for the last year, year or so, to really have an idea of the financial standpoint of the team. And he's a hockey guy, so he understands what what needs to be done in that in that aspect. And I I think that's where you know having Ralph Kruger involved with him. You know, even though Ralph's the coach. You know, Ralph has the management background to be able to to kind of lend you know to lend a kind ear to that. And I think that's going to be a huge help. But I mean, there's that's a lot to get figured out. I mean, they're going to have a ton of cap space. I mean, they have a lot of they have a lot of salaries coming off, and they've got a lot of questions of what to do to fill that in the future. You know, how much do you pay Sam Reinhardt? How do you get that contract figured out? What do they do with Brandon Montour? You know, are they going to do anything with Rasmus Ristolainen finally? You know, things like that. And then you have to decide on the futures of Dylan Cousins and R2 Ruxolainen. And just there's a host of a host of other young guys where you got to get it figured out. You know, do they belong or do they or do they go elsewhere? And it's it's it, it would give me a panic attack if I were in Kevin's shoes to try to try to get all this figured out right off the hop. Um, but you know he, he's been he, he's been such a student for for everything, and I think you know if he's able to do something big with this and really get things turned around, man, oh man, just give him executive of the year right <laughs> away if he can, because because this is this is just an unreal plate he's been handed where you know it's everything from the nhl to the ahl where he's got to try to get this all screwed on straight and all pointed in the right direction and in the same direction and man i i don't know how you do that on your own i don't know how you do that when you cut out so many uh so many scouts and so many executives you know you're cutting out all these other good voices to have in the room and I, I mean, geez, I, I just, I'm exasperated for him. I know he's, I know he's ready for the challenge. He says it's his dream. It's a dream come true. I believe that 100. percent But man, it's, it's, it's so much to take on. It is so much to take on, and it's, it's a huge undertaking. And I, I, I really hope that he's able to provide some kind of stability here because they, the organization needs it. Well, and the one thing going in his favor, although obviously a draft and free agency will come, is this next season isn't going to start till late November if, at, at the earliest. So there's five months now, the longest off season you can possibly have to kind of get some of that figured out. Joe, thank you so much for your time, man. Uh, we appreciate you catching up. You're always kind to me. I, I, I appreciate your willingness to come on and uh, give us some insight from up there. Uh, uh, best of luck to you, and uh, ho- hopefully things land in the right direction very, very soon. Yeah, let's let's hope so. And Chris is great to talk to you. You're always one of my favorites. It's always a bummer I only get to see you like once a year. But uh, great, great to catch up with you, with you and, and and Jeremy today. It's uh, it's been a treat. We we will do it again soon. Thank you, Joe. Good luck, my man.
Thank you. All right, that is Joe Yurden up in uh, Buffalo getting us up to date on uh, the biggest hockey news of the day. The Buffalo Sabres firing their general manager and hiring Kevin Adams as a new general manager. Here's the question that we'll come out of the next break with. Is what we have seen with the Buffalo Sabres and the Edmonton Oilers, does that speak volumes about the St. Louis Blues? I'll explain in a moment on 101 ESPN. All right, we welcome you back to This weekend Hockey here on 101 ESPN. Jeremy Rutherford in studio for the hour. Alex Ferrari alongside as well. Uh, we'll take some what, text messages for a segment of the next hour. Touch on whatever topics anybody wants. Right, Alex? Yeah, 65780. You can send them over to the Air Comfort Service text line, and uh, we'll take some questions once we open up the second hour. All right. So before the, we're talking to Joe Yurden. Okay, the Buffalo Sabres have missed the playoffs now nine consecutive seasons. They've only made the playoffs four times in the last 18 years. And yet we have gone in there and seen some tremendous crowds, right? So you know you have a terrific hockey market. The Edmonton Oilers went to the Stanley Cup final in 05-06, okay? So the very first year coming out of the lockout, they went to the Stanley Cup final. They have only made the playoffs one time since then. This year will be the second, okay? The St. Louis Blues went to dead last in the National Hockey League after the 05-06 season. And yet, when the St. Louis Blues, now they missed the playoffs the next few years, but they made it in 09, missed again. So you had at least one flavor. And then they went back and only missed it once since, and that was when you lost by the one point. You lost that game in Colorado. So even that year, you were a competitive team, you know, knocking on the door, and, and you know, you had some some pretty bad luck in that last game, too, you know, with Tarasenko getting hurt. So you put all that into perspective, and you do have to give some credit to Larry Plough, John Davidson, Yarmo Kekalainen, and Doug Armstrong. You have to give a lot of credit to those four individuals who are the respective heads over this time from losing and missing the playoffs and, and going to be dead last in the league to where they were to just even becoming relevant again. Forget winning the whole thing. To becoming relevant again, which you remember was a big factor of the Blackhawks when they were down after so many years. We want to become relevant again. Like, to see teams like Buffalo and Edmonton just wallow in misery dysfunction, bad decisions, while you're drafting high year in, year out, and not find a way to climb out of it, I think does speak volumes to how the Blues are able to not only draft well, find a way, but then eventually move the coaching in the right direction to get you to where you're at. Yeah, and here's an example, too. When you do make mistakes, you make other decisions and other moves to compensate. So you look at how many number one picks have the Edmonton Oilers had, and they've missed on a lot of them, right? You could argue that the Blues missed out on their number one overall pick, Eric Johnson. I think you could. But what does Doug Armstrong do? And Yarmo Kekalainen, as you mentioned, they go out and they get uh, the fourth overall pick in the draft, Alex Petrangelo, who becomes your captain and, and lifts the cup for the first time. Uh, and you build around them. So you're not just relying on that one guy. And, and so I think what, uh, to your point, what Doug Armstrong and the Blues have shown is they can put themselves into a competitive scenario for years and years and now 10 years uh, because overall, collectively, they've made a lot of good decisions where with those Buffaloes and Edmontons, it, it's just, it, it's a clown show. Year well, after year. Was it Aaron Pelushai that they traded for Matt D'Agostini? 
think so, yep. Okay, yep. so remember that trade was being done. We were doing a show over at Harpo's in Chesterfield, one of our hockey caravan shows. And Alex, one of the things that Doug Armstrong did was, okay, he looked at Aaron Palusha. I, you know, I mean, turned out to be a pretty good bust of a pick, or I didn't really have much of a career. But when he still had value, he traded him for a guy, Matt D'Agostini, who could play in the National Hockey League. And so, and, and Doug Armstrong said this when that move was made. He, he advanced the development of that spot. Whoever would have been in that spot, he advanced that development a couple of years, which advances your team all-around play. And that is a huge thing that the St. Louis Blues did to help this turnaround continue to go. When, when they traded... And, of course, now this was a Larry Plow trade, right? But when he traded Lee Stepniak, Larry Plow got Carlo Koliakovo, who was a good defenseman for the Blues. Yes, injured a lot, but a good defenseman for the Blues. And Alexander Steen. They, they made moves that advanced the organization to help them get out of the basement they were in. Yeah, I think it's just it's a different way of looking at the prospects. I know a lot of fans of hockey look at prospects of, well, hopefully this is going to be the next person that can help change the organization. And that's the essential goal when a, when a team drafts a player, is you hope that this guy can be somebody who can contribute and play 15 years in the NHL. But the other factor in it is, and it's a different look at it, is you just hope that this player or prospect can provide value to your organization because it becomes a trade piece more than anything. And I think that's what Doug Armstrong has talked about in the past, knowing that there's draft picks available that can turn into, hey, look, he might not be a part of this team, but he could be something that can move on to help out other teams. Another great example of a trade that Doug Armstrong made was Lars Eller who was a highly touted prospect, but they sent him to Montreal in that package deal so that they could get Yaroslav Halak, the area that the Blues were lacking in when it came to goaltending. Now, essentially, it didn't turn out the way that they would hope because they got rid of Ben Bishop. But it still, it, it advanced the, the organization for the time being when they made that deal. Well, and, and even to that point, okay, I, I, I will I'll make the case that I think that the Yar Halak trade in Doug Armstrong's tenure probably goes down as one of the worst because of how it all transpired and eventually what happened. Having said that, having said that, in all fairness, and I talked to Doug about this, about this exact thing. The guy still ended up going with Brian Elliott and winning a Jennings Trophy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay, so he wasn't bad. So in, in that case, yes, they eventually moved on from him. But but when they when they went ahead and they they took a they took a chance, they took a chance and 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 got Ryan Miller, right? And it just didn't pan out. But he's Doug Armstrong wasn't afraid to make a move like that. But that Ryan Miller trade wasn't. It didn't kill the franchise. The Yarrow trade. And it, it didn't. It didn't. It's a great it move didn't the kill time. the franchise. I mean, they, they because you had other things in in place to do it, and that's where the experience and and the DNA of Doug Armstrong, his makeup, that's made him allowed him to do that, has made a huge difference. Where these other franchises couldn't figure it out. Yeah, and when I look at the St. Louis Blues and what Doug's been able to do with them compared to Buffalo and Edmonton, what do you think of when you think of Edmonton? A bunch of young kids, and you even hear that that's the the landscape around the the culture around the team. A bunch of young kids out partying. You look at uh, Buffalo, Reinhardt. Some of those guys have been good players coming into the league and, and have been okay, but they haven't developed. What's 
Doug Armstrong done? He's brought in, I'm just going to throw out a few names, a, a Langenbrunner, an Arnott. You know, even guys come in, That's play right. third, fourth line roles. A Brendan Morrow. Yeah, Brendan Morrow. But yep. they come in here and they just offer support to those young players. Now it's not, and I know it was initially, okay, come watch the kids grow. But as we get into 2008, 9, you talk about the playoffs in 09, now you're talking about building something as opposed to just saying, okay, these kids are going to get it done, which has happened in those well, other even cities. Ryan Miller trade. I mean, the Ryan Miller obviously didn't work out in the favor of the Blues, but they did get Steve Ott in that deal, and Steve Ott remained with the team, helped that team in the playoffs. He was one of the big pieces of that team where they beat the Chicago Blackhawks for how crucial he was on the ice, and then he essentially becomes an assistant coach. Even Magnus Payarvi, who, who stuck around probably a lot longer than you, you would have thought you would have kept him, they had a role for him, and he eventually scores like a huge overtime goal for you against Minnesota, right? So, like, there are... It's it's really a fascinating aspect to how successful teams have managed to turn things around quickly. San Jose, out of the playoffs, last what the two times in the last twenty plus years they've missed the playoffs. They've gone to the conference final after missing it. So look out for San Jose next year. But we're getting to that and uh, maybe a little bit uh, more there. Hey, listen, last week. Last week on the show, we told you that, okay, it's the first time in 25 years that you do not have a California team in the playoffs. You also got something this year now that you haven't had for quite a while. We'll hit that when we come back on This Week in Hockey on 101 ESPN. Final segment of our first hour here on 101 ESPN. Chris Kerber, Alex Ferrario, Jeremy Rutherford of The Athletic joining us. And folks, if you haven't subscribed to The Athletic, do it. The writing, the coverage is great. Uh, the insiders that they have is fantastic. It's a must-read for me every single morning. I get up and, and and open it up. So check it out, The Athletic. Go to theathletic.com and subscribe. Just, do they subscribe through you or just to subscribe to it? Not anymore. Area? It kind of used to be that way, but now you just go to the That's website. Okay. Yep. Um, so, no California teams, but six out of seven Canadian teams. And the other news of today is Prime Minister Trudeau said that they are now leaving it up to each province's health officials to determine whether or not the quarantine should happen. So for those that weren't following this, and I don't blame you if you weren't from north of the border, if you were going to travel into Canada, their rules were you had to, once you got there, self-quarantine for 14 days before you could go to Sherlock Holmes or any place out in Canada, right? Now you've got Vancouver, Edmonton, and Toronto. that were three Canadian cities listed as a potential hub city. Pierre Lebrun on uh, on insider trading on TSN earlier today s- reported that during the Board of Governors meeting yesterday, Gary Bettman went through all 10 cities again and said all 10 cities are still part of this. So, you know, what tea leaves people are reading, who they're believing, who they're listening to, obviously will steer that. But again, he listed all 10 cities at the Board of Governors meeting. So having said that, they still believe that all three Canadian cities could be in play for a hub city. And you know that they would like to have one there. But a huge hurdle in one of those cities becoming one of the two hub cities was the laxing of that quarantine law from a rule from from the Canadian government. So it is now up to each individual province to be able to do so. 
All right, so we're dealing with Alberta, British Columbia, and and of course Ontario. Ontario. And I gotta think that all three of them are gonna go. Yep, no problem. <laughs> it's the first thing. That, okay, so I saw that tweet the very first thing I, when I woke up this morning. Canada will lax the quarantine rule for the NHL playoffs and Alex and Curves. I was sitting there thinking, could you imagine? You ask him, okay, we want to do this for Farm Aid. Nope. Okay, we want to do this for a music festival. Nope. Uh, <laughs> NHL playoffs. Yeah, yeah, we can, yeah, do, we that. can do that. Yeah, we can we'll do figure that. Figure it out. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's sort of like when it started here in in. in in the United States, and the Florida proved that WWE is, you know, is a necessary service. So <laughs> sure. it's really just a matter of, you know, of how it goes. But I, I do think that that'll be interesting because, Jeremy, as we were talking during that during that last break, the one thing that you have to keep in mind is TV windows. So the one thing you know is that each of those cities, they're going to play games in the windows of noon local, four local, Eight local. It gives you enough time to play the game, get it out, flash clean the locker room, and start it all over again. If you are in a central time zone noon, so central time zone, you'd be talking 1 o'clock, 5 o'clock, 9 o'clock eastern time zone. That makes sense. That might bode well for Chicago. Um, if, if you're in Toronto, obviously they're eastern time zone. Pittsburgh, Columbus, the other two, that, that's eastern time zones. If you're if you're Vancouver, if you you know, or Las Vegas, and is Las Vegas right now Mountain? Or are they? I think they're two hours behind right now. Okay, so so they're two hours behind again. Then then you're talking essentially, right? That'd be three o'clock, seven o'clock, and then a really really late game. So again, I, I think though. I think you can make the time zones work for that for that window. Yeah, I just don't know how you you don't put it in Canada if you have a chance to do it. And uh, you were touching on something earlier. You got six of the seven teams, and you know Canada is going to be giddy over this playoff. And yeah, but they're not all going to stay there. So uh, right. you keep in mind, you know, the, the United States team, whether they put the East or the West in that Canadian city, those are the teams that are going. It's based on conference, not based on geographics. Right, right. And, and I understand that. And, and we don't know that. You know, that hasn't been settled yet. So one day you hear one thing the next day you hear another that's true could you keep the canadian teams in there and then you end up uh shuttering in and out could you try to do that yeah so i get what you're saying about uh, the time zone difference and things like that but if you're gonna have six canadian teams in this playoffs looking for the first team to win the stanley cup since 1993 from canada uh, i'm sure they're going to do everything they can to play it in one of those three cities you mentioned I, I, and i do think it, it will help it you know even their tv partner up there so that 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 is all part of it but these are now again as we wind down this there are still other factors and issues that that need to be resolved i mean we're one you're still at the mercy of of COVID-19. You're still at the mercy of if this flares up in certain cities, that impacting decision. So even though they may announce something, I still think they're going to keep a couple, one or two options in a wing in case something changes because this still is extremely fluid. Yeah, be ready. The only thing is, I mean, let's say they pick their two pod cities and, you know, it pops up. I mean, are you just going to pick up and head for one of those cities that you have on call? I mean, I, I can't imagine that they'll continue playing like rotate to another city so say they say hypothetically you pick Vegas and Toronto and then right when they're about to start let's say Toronto has another hit of the pandemic and then it's okay well do you go to your second option or do you shut it down completely well guys make no mistake about this okay I I don't think any of these sports are going to be overly successful in quarantining players for months I, I don't care what sport it is I really don't I don't either I really truly don't having said that I, whatever hub cities are picked, 
I fully believe the PA is going to have a big say in this. Huge say. I mean, you're going to have 12 cities, and, and I mean, I guess the old all due respect thing. You know, I, I can't see Edmonton being one that they want to go necessarily to. Mm-hmm. Well, and, and Curbs, you know, when people were upset here in St. Louis that St. Louis didn't make the cut of 10, and I said, look, this is all due uh, all due respect to the city I love and live in here, uh, but the PA and seven, 800 players are not going to put St. Louis on a list And of we've talked about that before with Vitaly when we were talking about yeah. the All-Star game and players not wanting to attend. you got to make it a desirable destination for players, which is the West Coast, which is beach, Warm weather, Vegas, you got to make it desirable. Otherwise, they don't want to be You're there. You're going to have to have ways where these guys can golf courses mm-hmm. that maybe you have basically just rented for the day. Mm-hmm. Okay, whatever it is. And it, it could be a long run. Now, having said that, you are talking within the whatever hub city you go to. If you get into that hub city three days before, right, and then you start playing games, right, you're talking. Well, you're talking eight teams, four on the east, four in the west, are out of there within two weeks. Right. And then you're lowering the amount of people okay. that you're trying to contain. And That's then another point. two, and then another week and a half, two weeks after that, another eight teams are gone. Okay, so 16 teams within just over a month are now back home. You know, so you have to keep in mind the longevity of the time in that city really dwindles. And I think based on that's number. the difference with the NHL and the NBA because when they start, it's going to be playoffs. If you're talking Major League Baseball, that's a whole season, but that's a whole other story. But, yeah, you're going to narrow that down pretty quickly in terms of how many you're containing. Hey, uh, thanks for joining us oh, for the hour. Well, thanks for having me, guys. This was great. Nice finally getting to see some hockey people, right? I love it. Good Starting conversation. Back. Well, it's Jeremy Rutherford. And again, you can follow him on Twitter at JP Rutherford. And of course, subscribe to The Athletic where he does phenomenal work. Our number one of This Week in Hockey in the Books. We'll come back with more next here on your home for the St. Louis Blues 101 ESPN. To showcase the game and have viewership like they've never had in the history of the sport. And I think that's all but assured at this point. Uh, it would be it would be something uh, if they're able to get this thing pulled off and crown a Stanley Cup winner. Uh, I think we'll all look back at this as being a pretty special run for somebody. Well, and I hope a lot of people find a way to sync the radio to their TV. <laughs> yeah, exactly. We always vote for that, don't we? John, great to talk with you, man. All my best to your dad and family, and uh, and uh, hopefully we'll see you down the road here really soon, man. Thanks for giving us some time live tonight. Curbs, it is good to hear your voice, my man. Let's hope that uh, maybe we meet up sometime in October. I would love to have that problem, John. Can't wait for it, buddy. Good luck to you. All right. Thanks, buddy. All right. That is John Walton, uh, who, you know, at one point in time, I got to get him back on and tell you this story. He was the PA announcer for the Cincinnati Reds. He really? was he was he was the PA announcer. I think it might have even been his first year doing it. So for, now he was doing it when Marge Schott owned the team. So imagine in today's cultural climate what was going on. A woman like Marge Schott with the comments she had made at the time, which are a problem. Then imagine imagine that now. But he was the PA announcer when and I forget the name of the umpire. The one umpire collapsed right at the very beginning of the game and died. Oh yeah, on the field. And, yep. and he was the PA announcer for uh, in Riverfront Stadium. When that happened, and he is now, of course, uh, the voice of the Washington Capitals. Good buddy, John Walton. His dad, I told you before, his his dad was my marketing professor in college for two different classes. Two different college connections uh, tonight for you. So really, really cool there. All right, we will take a break. Come back in just a moment here on This Week in Hockey on 101 ESPN.
Alongside the voice of the blues, Chris Kerber. I'm Alex Ferrario with you here on a Tuesday night. Hey, if you miss any of the podcasts, if you missed the first hour with, or any of the show, I should say, if you missed the first hour with Jeremy Rutherford, uh, if you missed our interviews with Joe Yurden talking about the Buffalo Sabres situation, or as we just wrapped up with John Walton, the voice of the Washington Capitals, make sure you check it out on the podcast, 101ESPN.com, or wherever you get your podcasts from. Just search This Week in Hockey, and you can listen to tonight's show or previous shows. Plenty of guests throughout this pandemic. We've kept it uh, rolling. Hockey talk for our listeners, uh, and uh, hopefully we're getting close to a scenario where we're going to see hockey again. But Curbs, we toss it out there uh, at the end of last hour to get some listeners, uh, shoot some texts over yep. to your Air Comfort Service text line 65780. So if you have some, text them over to us, 65780. This one right here from the 636 Curbs. How in the hell can these rinks handle their ice for all of these teams, especially in the summer like Vegas? Which I think is a great question. That's one that hasn't really been talked about a lot. Okay, the, and I'm assuming he's talking the quality of the ice. Because you're going to have... Or is he talking about uh, just needing enough ice for teams to practice? I, 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 from my understanding, it would be the quality of the ice, where you have okay. all of... you have. 16 teams or however many teams are going to be skating on this rink. And then you also have the heat conditions that you're going to be dealing with in the summer. Okay, so a couple of things on that side of it. Number one, just outside of Las Vegas where the minor league team played, they had another building and the, and the Vegas Golden Knights Rollers. bought that minor league team and they were selling out, I mean, they were selling season tickets for the American Hockey League team like hotcakes. I mean, it, it was really something special. So they have another building that from a practice standpoint, on top of the practice facility you know that the Vegas Golden Knights have, which does have a couple of rinks into it. And we were out there, Alex. You were out there, yeah. and you saw that rink and what it was like. So there are plenty of rinks in terms of the ability to get several teams practicing at different times during the day. So that 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 part is there. The quality of ice is a great question. It's something that is an issue even in the winter time in NHL cold cities. Believe it or not. I, have, I hear more guys at, at old Rexall Place in, in Edmonton. Without a doubt, guys always talk about that was the best ice in the league. Yeah. Okay. I've heard from players that talk now about the new rink in Edmonton being the worst ice in the league. So just really? because it is cold outside does not ensure that you are going to have great ice. I'm not sure that players are really completely happy with ice just about anywhere. Now, what happens is when the humidity in these buildings gets to a point, it softens the top of the ice. When they did the renovations at Enterprise Center, they have humidity sensors all around the rink. And Doug Waugh, who's in charge of the building, can pull up these humidity sensors and they can tell you what the humidity is, not only at the ice level in key points and the temperature of the ice, but around the building. So Brian Burke told the story when he was, you know, when the league and and when he was the general manager with, with Vancouver, that, you know, when they played deep into the playoffs, they had to bring in units to help control the humidity out in Vancouver. So I got to think that the league is already well on top of that aspect of it. One of the factors, ironically here, that plays a role in some of the challenges in keeping good ice is the fact that you're not going to have 18,000 people with an average temperature of 98 degrees in the building. So from that standpoint, you actually can control the temperature in the building 
a lot more. Also, you what you don't have is you don't have for two hours leading up to game time, the doors opening and closing. Right. Right. And, and things like that. So believe it or not, I, I actually believe they can control the environment better in this situation because you don't have as many fans in the building. Now, how they're going to get through it, I don't know. they might bring in extra, you know, extra humidifiers, extra things to help with that. But in the end, uh, it's a great question because I do think the quality of the ice in any of these cities in the summertime could be a little bit different. And Jeremy Rutherford actually just texted me and he said he talked to David Perron and Perron told JR that the ice in Vegas during the Stanley Cup final was phenomenal. And that's yep. June. Now obviously it's different than July or August. I've been in Vegas in August and 118 degrees it feels like outside. But still... Like you said, I think there's a lot more factors that you don't have to concern yourself with. Brand new ice plant. Too. Exactly. Brand spanking new ice plant. So you put all that in there when this building is was built for this and the technology that they know now. I mean, keep in mind, you know, the Blues ice is better now than it was because they, they redid everything underneath, you know, in, in some of these cities. In, in Edmonton, you're going to be dealing You're going to be dealing with an older ice plant in, in Vancouver, older ice plant in Toronto. I don't believe those have been replaced anytime soon. So, yeah, that's going to be a factor, but in the end, it's going to be a factor that all the teams are playing What with. do you think affects ice more, Curbs, when you have a lot more team skating on it? And in a, that also helps very well. Uh, does <laughs> the it affect, bigger the cube, the better. <laughs> does it affect the ice more where you have a lot more teams in a smaller amount of time skating on it? Or something like the Enterprise Center does in a normal season where you have guys skating on it, but then you're putting stuff over the ice when you have concerts or you have other events that are using up the floor? Um, so what I can tell you is just from the conversations I've had right. um, with Dan Craig of the league who's in charge of putting the ice in all the winter uh, winter classic buildings and you know baseball stadiums and then and then just the different guys when you first put your ice sheet in one of the keys that that they want is they want as many people skating on it as possible once it's established because the the weaving of the skates and the the the, the ice getting cut by the skates kind of much like a basket a weaved basket mm-hmm. versus one that is just straight across becomes a little bit strong you know those old chinese handcuffs those yeah. weaved things you know frightened of those when i was a kid right so um the weaving on the ice is important so i don't think the number of teams being on it is is going to necessarily impact the quality all that much. I think they've gotten that technology down pretty One more well. text before we take a break, and I want to get into some of Gary Bettman's comments from last night on ESPN with you, Curbs. But uh, from the 618, without crowd noise, do you think it changes the game as the players can hear each other's calls as well as the coaches on the ice? You know what? Players have talked about this, Alex. Uh, they've actually they've talked about this in all of the sports. That you know how you, I, I I don't know that it's going to impact the you know hearing the coaches yell or talk to their players. Um, I I will tell you this I do think for what what the league's going to have to do is one thing they're talking about doing is okay do you somehow manage to to increase the effects at ice level so in with the loss of the ambient sound of the crowd noise. Does the sound of the sticks and the pucks cutting through help? And and, and I got to tell you, I think the first few games they televise might be different than the next few, and it might be different than the next rounds. Right. I think there's going to be a little bit of go. I personally have thought that the pumping in of the sound during the Bundesliga matches has been excellent. I have too. I, I actually, I think it's. I think I don't. I'm not all that worried about the integrity of how it sounds because we all know that the fans are not in the building. We know that. So if the viewing experience 
is as close to normal as can be. I think it's worth doing. If not, you're going to hear more conversations. You're going to hear more. And I, I don't care if it's one player ripping on another player, an F-bomb here, an F-bomb there. You know what? If, if, if you're going to get uptight about it, the, I'm not sure you should be watching. Mm-hmm. You know, because I, I do anticipate you you being able to hear more, as we do from time to time on the air anyway. And so you're going to hear it because Ryan Reeves, like we just talked about with John Walton, said that this is going to be a, a lot more aggressive brand of hockey than what people are used to in the playoffs with 24 teams three months off who are healthy, rested, and contained into one area. Listen, I'm going to take this to to another topic. You know, a lot of people thought it would be great to hear everything that's said. I'm one of those that do, but I'm one of those that am not going to be bothered by anything that's said. Right. Because I understand that it's being said within the framework of that competition. So some of it may be wrong, mm-hmm. but it's going to happen. Yeah. And it has happened. Right. Um, some of it is going to be colorful and downright dirty. Yep. But it's going to happen. And it's it's part of what happens. And I honestly, I do not want to see sports sanitized in that way. I agree. Um, and, look, I, I, yes, there are some things you shouldn't say, okay? But, look, the yo mama jokes, your wife jokes, uh, everything else, man, that's part of you guys just going out there trying to get in somebody's head. Yeah. And, it's been a part of the game for a long time. Well, and and I hope that this doesn't like this. Like, so if, if you're going to be out there tweeting, I can't believe that this guy said that, or oh, this is awful. Keith, uh, <laughs> then you're the reason that we have the delays and all this other stuff. So I, I think you're going to hear some of it. And you know, I guess we're about to find out whether or not that's a good thing or a bad thing. If it bothers you, then televised spelling bees might be the way to go once sports get back underway. Well, and turned, I yeah, I just you know look at that. Well, think about this, like I. Remember, I come from the same thing. So people say I'm tired of the cliches. Well, as soon as a player speaks their mind, how many people are jumping on him for speaking his mind? Yeah. Or you got to keep that in the locker room. You can't have it both ways here, folks. Mm -hmm. And you want a real insight to things that get said? I think in all of these sports, you're about to get it. Oh, yeah. 100% with the NHL playoffs. That's Chris Kerber. I'm Alex Ferrario. It's This Week in Hockey. We'll come back. Gary Bettman was a part of that uh, return of sports on ESPN last night. Had some interesting things to say. So, Kerbs and I will get into that next here on This Week in Hockey. On your home for the St. Louis Blues, 101 ESPN. We're going to be playing the best of seven for four rounds, which is what it takes generally to determine the Stanley Cup champion. And I think everybody can feel good based on the combination of the play-in round and the way we're going to run the playoffs, that this will be a full competition, uh, which will bring out the best in our teams and our players. And the Stanley Cup champion will be deserving of that crown and the most storied trophy in all the sports. That's Gary Bettman, NHL commissioner from the ESPN's show last night return of sports he among commissioners of all leagues talking about the return of sports among this pandemic along with the voice of the blues chris kerber i'm alex ferrario and curbs i want to start with that because that has been the topic and question that has been tossed out throughout this pandemic of sports returning and the nba coming back with the playoffs in orlando and the nhl coming back with some type of playoff format with hub cities and then major league baseball if they come back putting an asterisk next to the season because it was a shortened season or because it was a canceled season and from hearing gary bettman talk about that 
it goes to show you that it's the complete opposite of an asterisk next to a season. This is going to be a much different playoff scenario than anybody has ever seen before in a good way. I, I Why would you need an asterisk next to this one? Right. First off, everybody's going to know that that the 2020 Stanley Cup was awarded during a pandemic. But you played most of the teams. All but, like, what, three teams played 70 or more games. I mean, you played all but 12 games of your regular season. Right. They, They came up with the best way they could. This is not like Major League Baseball where... You're going to award a World Series champion in a 50-game season when you normally play 162, you know, where you've only played. I mean, you played, you know, all but 10, 12 games of your season. So, and then and then not only did you not only play that, but you're going to make some of those teams play a best of five to get to what is would be the playoffs as we know it. You still are going to have the top four teams in each conference having to battle out for seeding purposes, and then you're going to play four seven-round series. Right. So, uh, no, I I mean, I agree with Kane. There, there's no asterisk needed on this one. I think it's a legit Stanley Cup win. And you know what? You're going to add to it the mental grind of basically every one of those games, at least until you get to the conference final being on the road. Um, I, I and with now fans in the building and different, I, I think like as Craig Berube told us on behind the bench last week, it's it's going to come down to who can handle the mental aspect of this as much as anything. So I think because the mental aspect is going to be that different than the others. Without a doubt, you've got a legitimate Stanley Cup. I think the part that sticks out to me, too, is when he's talking about just the overall integrity of the game. You know, you don't want to come back and just, you know, kind of ease your way into this game and be like, well, it's a different scenario for the players. You don't want to give them the easy route with this. You know, the fact that they're putting the best of seven through the four actual rounds that teams would go through, the fact that they're doing this play-in scenario for the top four teams, it makes it a competition from start to finish. But on top of it, it also puts it at the same scenario for everybody to where everybody has the same amount of training camp. Everybody has the same amount of games that they're being played. So you can't look at this and you can't say, well, this team had a little bit extra edge than the other team. No, that's the integrity of the Stanley Cup being the toughest trophy. Everyone has to go through the same gauntlet. If uh, I firmly will stand on this one that I would believe that this Stanley Cup would be more legit than the 95 Cup and the 13 Cup. Yeah. When you only played 48 games to go into the playoffs after lockouts. Right. So I, I have I, I really do think that the, the the National Hockey League has done the best the best that they can. And I think it's worth keeping in mind, Alex. Gary Bettman, and he made those comments on ESPN last night. It was a pretty good program that yeah. ESPN did with different commissioners and getting their different thoughts and to sit and listen to them was pretty good. Um. I know I, I maybe and I haven't been in part of, a part of board of governors meetings or any of this kind of thing. But when you talk about NASCAR potentially having thirty thousand fans in Bristol, Connecticut, on July fifteenth, mm-hmm. when you're talking about sometime in September or August, depending on what college football is doing, putting fans in there, and I know it's outdoor. Um, I Gary Bettman kept it open. In that initial announcement that the conference finals or the Stanley Cup final could be held in, in the home cities. Yeah. You know, and I'm holding out hope that that could be the case. You know, I don't know if people in general are still being smart enough. I don't know if they think the pandemic is over. I don't know. If, I don't know if the general public 
as a whole, not each one of you individually, but as a whole, if if they're handling this pandemic thing right now and reopening of cities and stuff smartly enough that that's going to be allowed to happen because of where the numbers are bound to go. But I hope that all the prognosticators were wrong. I hope that as cities open up, numbers stay flat, continue to go down from hospitalizations and, and things go where that could be a possibility. I, I would I would love to see that happen where maybe, just maybe, there's a chance you could do it with some fans in a building. Well, that's the other interesting aspect that Gary Bettman talked about. You know, the medical side of all of this is the part that we don't know yet. It's still a hurdle in some players' eyes of, you know, what the testing is going to look like. Here's Gary Bettman talking about that last night. Players are going to be tested every day, as will the supporting personnel. Uh, and if there's one positive test, again, this will be under the strict guidance of the medical people. Uh, that person will be isolated and will be monitoring anybody through contact tracing that was in close proximity. Obviously, for any sport, if you have a major outbreak, it's going to change everything. But we're being told that an isolated case or a couple of isolated cases shouldn't interfere with the plans uh, and we should be able to move forward. So hearing that with the medical policies and the testing that the NHL is implementing going into this, I mean, everybody's going to be tested, so the safety is going to be there. But you just heard him say that, you know, one positive case isn't going to halt everything. It's just going to be a hurdle that the NHL has to find their way over. Again, listen, I'm just trying to throw some practical common sense into this, okay? And I don't know the answers, Alex. You don't know the answers. I guarantee Gary Bettman doesn't know the answers. Doug Armstrong doesn't know the answers. Craig Berube doesn't know the answers. Alexander Steen doesn't know the answers. You know, Sidney Crosby doesn't know the answers. Right. What these sports are doing, like like I'm watching a boxing match right now, okay? This is going to be a perfect example. The guys in the corner in this boxing match on ESPN are wearing masks. But the guy wearing the mask has it down around his lower lip, not his upper lip, and exposing his nose. (laughs) Okay, so no matter what you put into place, I don't think there's going to be a perfect situation whatsoever. We know this going in. So it's just going to be up to the leagues and the... The, the, the leagues and, and like the referee is wearing gloves, but he's not wearing a mask in this boxing match. I mean, I can go on with this kind of thing forever here. Right. It, it, it just comes down to them doing the best that they can. And, you know, I, I think the way that they're going, you know, MLS is going to be testing their players twice a week. I know right now when teams go back into their into their hubs or into their NHL cities to start practicing, you know, that, that testing is going to be done a couple of times a week as well. It's going to be the nasal test until something better is developed. I mean, look, they're going to be doing everything that they can do. And you're still going to get people that tested. I mean, look, was anybody shocked? to find out that Ezekiel Elliott tested positive for coronavirus. No. Okay, well, wasn't it wasn't he one of the ones throwing uh, back in March? I think it might have been March, late March, middle of March, after everything was kind of getting shut down. Wasn't he the one throwing a house party with about 30 people, you know, for for his teammates and stuff coming over there and you know, and, I mean, look, everyone's going to have to be smart. If a player decides that, well, okay, I got to get out and I'm going to go into a club in Las Vegas and go, look, you're going to take the risk. And then you're going to take the risk of you being quarantined for the next couple of weeks. Right. And then you're going to have to do all the contract contact tracing that, that they're going to be. And that's for every one of these cities. It's for every one of these things. You really think 
that NBA players are going to hole up in a hotel <laughs> in Disney World in, in, in Disney, you know, in, in Florida. No, do, do you really think like they're going to do the best they can? But there's going to be players that ignore some of the protocols, and when they do, they're going to put themselves and everybody around at risk. And even if everybody was perfect, Alex, even if everybody was perfect, there's no risk-free way of doing this. No. So do we know that these leagues are going to be able to start up and not have to stop again? No, we don't. So I And again, I'm not bringing this up to rip on any of them. I'm just saying let's throw some reality in here. Right. I think they're just going to have to give it their best shot. Be as smart as they can with it. Do what they can with what we know and see how it works out. You know, I mean, you saw Roger Goodell talked about it. Look, just because we had some guys test positive doesn't mean we need to shut everything down. We believe testing is in place, boom, 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 and all that other stuff. Yeah. You know, our, I mean, our, it, it, it's just going to be, when you go to the grocery store now, I can be as smart as I can. And I've told you this story. I'm not shy to say it. And I go out there and help take care of my 77-year-old dad who is at risk as anybody that can be, right? I go out and I wear a mask and I wear gloves, okay? I haven't I haven't been stupid with what we do, you know, and I'm not going over to a bunch of people's houses. I'm not going out to restaurants and, and all this other thing, right? Okay, being as smart as I can. But I still, so I got to go do this grocery shopping, you know? Mm-hmm. But if you're going around schnooks and you just you know and you and you, and you see the you see the, you know the, the the men and the women out there that say I don't I don't need to wear a mask or whatever or, or those that aren't wearing masks you got to wonder are they you know they following the hand hygiene and all that other stuff so they take some they put it on the shelf you didn't see it you touch it right so when you're at the grocery store you just don't touch a face right. you go you get in the car and you immediately goop up with with Germex or Purell and then as soon as I get home and washing my hands with soap and do it right look. Uh, you're just going to have to do the best you can because I don't think you can rely on a person next to you doing the best that they can. Yeah, and so you got to be smart, and that's what these—that's what every one of these leagues is going to be dealing with, without question. That's Chris Kerber. I'm Alex Ferrario. We'll come back and wrap up this week in hockey. Another video has surfaced of Chris Kerber topless. We're going to break it down next here on 101 ESPN. So as we wind things down tonight here on This Week in Hockey, you know, we've spent seven segments getting into the hockey portion of our show, but now we're going to get into the Chris Kerber section of this one, and look. Listen, my mind is a dangerous place, and you've gotten to know that, don't you? I've known that over the last six years working with you, but with time on your hands, it gets even more entertaining. And look, you got to have a sense of humor. Yes, you do. And if you don't understand, Chris Kerber has gone viral after his video that he put out on Twitter. What was that, a, last night or a couple days ago? Uh, no, that was that was over the weekend. That, that, yeah. that was from, I think, uh, Saturday or Sunday. So it's, it's diving board etiquette with Chris Kerber. But now we have the Silly Salmon. So I want you to explain the Silly Salmon well, okay, to our so listeners. So the first one, first off, was... I love Rodney Dangerfield. Oh, yeah. I mean, I sit down and you pull up some of his old clips on the Tonight Show. They're just fantastic. So back to school over the weekend, back to school. It was the 34th anniversary of the release of Back to School. All right. So in honor of that, you know, you kind of give your, you know, test test the 
wind direction yep. to the old armpit fart and then you jump off the diving board. Now, obviously, I had somebody put, that's not the triple Lindy. Well, no, duh, but I don't have three different platforms and diving boards and all of this <laughs> stuff. So did that and then a goofy dive in honor of the, the release of that movie and, and Rodney Dangerfield. And, and people have just had some great fun with it. But at the same time, it was one of the kids uh, that were out there, out there with my, some of my nieces and nephews. And they said, uh, Uncle Chris, have you ever seen the Silly Salmon? No, and they did it. And I started laughing my butt off. I went, what in the hell was that? And they're like, it's a Silly Salmon. Well, apparently these two guys on YouTube, you know, these group, this group of guys, they go, okay, Silly Salmon, they'll do it. And they'll do it into a bush. They'll do it into a... Uh, fountain at the mall, you know, in the pools and stuff, and and it's pretty funny. So they said, "You got to do it. You got to do it." And so my kids, Dad, you got to do it. So I went, "All right." So I did it and filmed it. And uh, again, I have no shame, so I have no, no problem embarrassing myself for others and uh, making kids laugh. And so that's what we did. So I, I told the story on my on on uh, character and Smallman. So uh, some people had sent notes. Well, we got to see. We got to see it. So I went ahead and said, "What the so hell? Put it, it out there." It's out on. Twitter and it's phenomenal and I think what would be yeah. fun is if people give it a little ranking like you know in the Olympics they they rank the diving I ranked it for you Curbs I put this out there scoring out of 10 the form I thought was a 9 out of 10. Okay thank you. Great great So you form. know your salmon. I know my salmon Okay. The height that you got off the diving board 10 out of 10. Okay. That I was like about that. as high yeah. as I think anybody could get on that bad boy. The splash only gave you 8 out of 10 though. I was expecting to see some water out of the pool the way you landed. Wow, I thought more. That's not a fat joke. I'm just that was it's a, a good pretty dive. wide pool. It's a good. It's an old, yeah. old pool. It's a pool that uh, my grandparents placed. My dad's now there. So yeah. it's, that's actually the pool that I grew up playing in. Is it same pool? Yeah. But look, ten out of ten on confidence of the body, Kate Curbs. All right, right. I appreciate that. Yep. The, the yep. chest hair is Austin Powers esque. Like Popeye said, I am what I am. So overall, Kay. a nine out of ten on that on that silly uh, salmon I, dive. I, it's you. I know you're going to do this. Oh, I hundred percent. Now here's the thing. Do not. This is the key. Don't tell Katie your dad. Whenever you're at the pool with him, every don't tell him you're going to do it. They're just going to be looking at your diving board and do it. And then as you're in the air, you yell "silly salmon." And then you do you have to yell it before you do it? In that case, I didn't because the kids are all doing it. But yeah, it's it's good to see you to hit that diving board and go "silly salmon" and then boom, and people are like what? And then they see it. it. It's it's good comedy. That's how you keep entertainment in this Listen, crazy time. I. It, you know what? You turn you, you you plug into social media and stuff, Alex, and you realize you know what the problem with social media is. Uh, now there's a whole lot of people giving opinions, and I'm not sure that you even want to see them. But my I believe social media for the most part is is to just kind of have fun and and, mm -hmm. and entertain. And and man, we got to get people laughing. Yep, we got to get them to relax. We need you to be serious about COVID nineteen because it will still kill people. Okay, and 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 that is the truth. But man, we got to get some people. We got to get people to lighten up. Look at the people around you. They're human beings. Create some laughter. Create some smiles. What did you do today to make somebody smile? And if it's getting goofy on a diving board, great. If it's opening a door for somebody, great. Man, make some people smile and just be neighborly. Yeah, and that that's. God, we just need more of that right now. I agree, and, and there's plenty of it going around. We just don't see it because that's not what's being reported. Right. So if you see it. Put that Put out, out on there. social media. I Absolutely. agree, and this is coming from a guy who doesn't like to talk to his neighbors. Yeah, but you, yeah, but you did. I've gotten better. But you've gotten better. Gotten you're going to be moving into a new house, so you're right. going to have to learn to talk to new neighbors. That's right. I'm going to build that confidence up. So, hey, also, if you're going to rank it, Put your own Silly Salmon videos out there. Let's start getting that all over Twitter, right? Uh, that'd be fantastic. Start doing that. So that's Chris Kerber, Voice of the Blues, and he's got Behind the Bench tomorrow night, presented by Boardwalk Hardwood Floors. What can uh, fans uh, listen for that you one? You know what? Sean Farrell. Oh, 
Sean, there's some great, great stuff on the video side of what's going on local in, in guy. hockey. Yeah, real local. He's a great story, actually. Great yeah. story to now have his name on the cup. So that's from 6 to 7 o'clock tomorrow night. The Boardwalk Hardwood floors behind the bench with Chris Kerber. And again, if you miss any of the program tonight or any of the previous shows, you can check them out on the podcast. Wherever you watch power, listen to the podcast. Just search This Week in Hockey, or you can check it out on 101ESPN.com. Kerber's great stuff tonight. Good job. Thank you, Jeremy, for sliding in. And to John Walton as well and Joe Yurden. Definitely. And again, you can check all that out on the podcast. For Chris Kerber, I'm Alex Ferrario. Have a great night, Blues fans. We'll talk to you next week on Tuesday night here for This Week in Hockey. Peloton, let's go. This holiday, with the right music and the right motivation from world-class instructors. We're going to pick it up a notch. It's the holiday season. You might just surprise yourself with what you're capable of. Work out to thousands of live and on-demand classes, from running to cycling to yoga. Try Peloton risk-free with a 30-day home trial. New members only, not available in remote locations. See additional terms at onepeloton.com slash home dash trial. Peloton, motivation that moves you.